1 Corinthians chapter 11 is our main scripture here. Verse 23, the Passion Translation, Paul says, I've handed down to you what came to me by direct revelation from the Lord himself. The same night in which he was handed over, he took the bread and he gave thanks. Then he distributed it to the disciples and said, take, eat. Take it and eat your fill. It is my body which is given for you. Do this to remember me. Verse 25. He did the same with the cup of wine after supper, and he said, This cup seals the new covenant with my blood. Drink it. And whenever you drink this, do it to remember me. Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are retelling the story, proclaiming our Lord's death until he comes. For this reason, whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in the wrong spirit will be guilty of dishonoring the, blood, the body and the blood of the Lord. So let each individual first evaluate his own attitude and only then eat the bread and drink the cup. For continually eating and drinking with the wrong spirit will bring judgment upon yourself by not recognizing the body. This insensitivity is why many of you are weak. How many? Many. Many are weak, chronically ill, and some even dying. So it's a shame that he didn't say few, but he said many. It's the same today as it was 2,000 years ago. Many are still falling into that category. If you, verse 31, if you do not sit in judgment of others, you will avoid judgment yourself. But when you, we are judged, it is the Lord's training so that we will not be condemned along with the world. I'm going to say something that would just really, really wake you up this morning, even though you all had plenty of sleep, I'm sure. But... Uh, you do not need to defeat your sickness or disease that you're battling today. You do not need. You see, when I was a young kid, I had out in Louisville, Kentucky, you know, they said that uh, the Ohio River Basin is the worst place almost in America to live if you're allergic to anything. And I was allergic to everything that you breathe. And so um, they did this allergy test on me. You know, they prick your back. I don't know if they still do that today or not, but they prick my back and everything. And and uh, so it was really, really bad, and they sent me home. And um, uh, after I got home, about an, an hour or so later, my body swelled up like a balloon. And all of a sudden, my innards started swelling up as well, and I couldn't breathe hardly. I mean, I was just, it was just me and my older sister, and so she panicked, and so she, uh, there was two doors down from us was a, a police officer who, would, actually, it was just the mercy and the grace of God. He was home. Actually, he was sleeping. He worked third shift, and so he was sleeping. She went and beat on the door and said, I think my little brother's dying. Can you take us to the, to the hospital? And so he rest, it was pretty cool as a kid. I was hyperventilating, but I was loving it. You know what I mean? It was, the lights were on, and we were doing 900 miles an hour. It was awesome. Uh, good adrenaline rush. But anyway, uh, so they rushed me back in, in his police car, and, and they... they Gave me all kinds of shots to counter that. And uh, the doctor just told my mother at that she, she was at work. She met us there and said, you know, the best thing advice I can tell you is you need to move someplace where nothing grows. <laughs> I remember that as a little kid and just thought, that is really sad. This is bad news. You know, and first of all, I thought, are we talking desert or what? You know, is that where? But he said, there's nothing I can do for your son. It was that bad. 
And so every uh, spring and fall, my eyes, there would be times that they would swell shut. And so I would just stay home and stay in bed. And um, most of my life, I, I did my best to, to defeat that, to defeat it. So I would live a normal life. I would, like February, I would start to dread spring. And then August, I would start to dread the fall. So a lot of years, a lot of months of my life, I was dreading what was coming because I knew how terrible it was. And so uh, then I, when I started learning about Jesus and how 1 Peter 2.24, 2, it says, by his stripes we were healed and started learning that how good my father was, that he wanted me to be well, I started going, well, I just need to have great faith. I need to get a hold of this. I need to defeat this. I need to do a better of this. And I, I, I. And then I found out, no, it's about him, 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 him. And so my point today is you do not need to defeat any, whether it's allergies. I'll start it, but you all tell me some sickness and diseases. I'm going to say diabetes. What high blood pressure? I mean, I mean what high blood pressure? What disease? Just just yell it out. Asthma, leukemia. Sleep apnea, what? Osteoporosis, epilepsy, arthritis. Nobody has any kind of disease, I mean, cancer. Not, you don't have to have these diseases. This is just an open forum. I'm just wanting you to tell me. No wonder this guy's quiet. We're all healthy. If that's the case, we need to pray for this side because they've been spitting out everything, but no. My point is this. There's a lot of sickness and disease going on, isn't there? My point is, as a believer, I was, raised, I was taught that, you know, you, you can overcome this. You can defeat this. You can do this. You can, you can. So I've just been for years just going, okay, I can do this. And I didn't do a very good job. And then I found out that Jesus defeated it for me. All of these diseases and then some, every sickness and disease has been defeated by Jesus. I mean, think that's good news. I think it's great news. But uh, in communion, we've been talking about this. And again, I can't go back and and tell everything for the foundation. But I'm going to teach you what I do, or I think for all of us, to be a little bit different when you partake of communion. When Jesus died... When he was on the cross, he was made sin, and he bore our sickness and disease. But this is what happened. He died, and he took that sin, he took that sickness, and he took it to the grave. So when you partake of the bread, he said, this bread is my body, which was broken for you. So this is the way you can partake of communion. And again, many people have been saying they've been taking this at home, so it's been, wow, it's been refreshing. And next week, we're going to take partake of communion. So you don't want to miss that because it's, I believe it's going to change the atmosphere when we partake of communion. <clears throat> I believe it's going to change the atmosphere when we partake of communion. Amen. Jesus, help us. So this is the way you, part, this is a way that you can do it. When you partake of the bread, you say, Father, and then whatever sickness, disease you have, you osteoporosis, uh, leukemia, whatever, you say, I believe 
that Jesus defeated this for me and he took it to the grave and it is buried. I am dead to it. I'm dead to it. I am dead to this. I'm dead to allergies. I'm dead to, to whatever sickness you, you have, whatever comes on you or whatever. You say, I'm dead to it. Jesus defeated. I don't have to defeat. Just put the devil on notice. The devil kept telling me, you're almost there. You're almost there. Almost. I, know, I mean, you know, if you're 99% there, you're still not there. You're still not healed. But he just tries to make you feel good by saying, you're almost, you're almost really in good health. You know, besides the high blood pressure and the cancer and, and your limp and your bad knees and your heart's going bad, but you're almost there. You're almost there. Hallelujah. He'll throw in a spiritual word every now and then. Hallelujah. You're almost there. You know, you just got one foot in the grave, but your other one's still out. But this is what you can say. I don't have to defeat that anymore, devil. I'm not going to combat that anymore. I'm putting you on notice that Jesus defeated this for me. And not only did he defeat it for me, he buried it. When he was buried, that allergy, that leukemia, that cancer, that leukemia, whatever, it was buried with him. Man, is that good. That's the way you can partake of it. So now the devil is on the defense and not you. We need to be offensive, not defensive. We don't need, when it comes to sickness and disease, we do not need to be defensive anymore. Just because you're getting older, you don't have to say, well, you know, you're supposed to lose your memory. You're supposed to walk with a cane. You're supposed to be feeble. <laughs> that's what the world will teach you. But that's not what the Bible teaches you. Amen? Amen? We talked about this last week, so I'm just going to do a little bit real quick because I don't want people to feel like the rug's being pulled out from them. But we talked about, you know, examination because when 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he talks about examine yourself. And so I, most people were raised that, man, you put yourself underneath the magnifying glass. No, the, the microscope. You examine yourself. It's been a long time since I've been there. So it's, uh, you examine yourself and then you make sure there's nothing bad in you at all. Nothing bad in you. No sin, no, no bad thoughts and no feeling. And, and I said this last week, you know, if we're going to do that, communion will last for days, not five or ten minutes. That's funny, but it's partly true. But in the Old Testament, at Passover time, when they brought the lamb... The person who brought the lamb was not examined. It was the lamb that was examined to see if there was any spot or wrinkle. I'm going to say it again. It wasn't the person. It was the sacrifice. So when you're partaking in communion, we are examining not Jesus in the fact is he acceptable or not. We are examining him to saying he was my perfect sacrifice. Not me. He was. So the examination is on Jesus, not him. He said, do this in remembrance of me, me not you. And so religion has taught us and just swung this whole thing around and tried to make everything about you instead of about him. Mm. So we talked about that and we talked about judging. You know, the word 
judge in there's in there three different words in the Greek. I'm not going to go into it, but uh, I do know this: the Lord has judged you and found you righteous. If you're going to go by judging, then you need to judge yourself how God judges you. He judges you as righteous today, and we laid a foundation for that. And uh, we know that our guilty conscience has been purged because of Jesus. There's good news in the cup. There's good news in communion. Good news for the sick. Good news for the unworthy. Oh, I'm just too unworthy to partake of communion. And, uh, you know, I, I just know this. It's a bad interpretation of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And knowing this, that to get saved, to get born again, you come just as you are. Can you get good enough to get saved? Can you do anything to, to meet God's standard in salvation? Can you? No, you cannot. It's not up to you and me. You just come just as you are in your rag-filled, unrighteous, sinful, yucky, manure self. There is nothing that you can do to grant salvation for you and me. So you just come. And by grace, you are saved. That's the most important thing on the planet is that we're saved by grace. So knowing that, then we come to communion, which is a snapshot, a picture of salvation. Is it not? It's what Jesus has done for us. But yet we make communion that now it's based upon our performance, that you can be good enough. Or you may not be good enough. It's turned back. So you're telling me that salvation, the most important thing that God has done for us, had nothing to do with you or me and our performance. But now we come to communion and we say it is up to us whether or not we're going to receive. There is something wrong with that picture. There is something definitely wrong with this picture. I'm telling you that you're telling me that our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, our relationship with our Heavenly Father God, is going to be based upon whether or not we make sure that we took care of every little sin in our life. Let me just ask you this. Just take off your spiritual thinking cap. Really, not, that's not a good way to say it. Your religious thinking cap. That's a better way to say it. How many believe that before communion was instituted, that there was a lot of sickness and a lot of disease? How many believe that, it, yeah, there was a lot of sickness and a lot of disease? And so now God is going to institute something for the church, for believers, that if we do it wrong, there's going to be a lot of sickness and disease. Sometimes God just gave us a brain to think with. And you should think, why are we partaking in communion with a possibility that it could make us sick? With a possibility that we could die prematurely. No wonder people are not wanting to take communion. I got enough problems as it is. Why do I want to do that? Are you following me? 
but it's not like that. He said, if you go by how religion teaches you, that, well, you need to make sure that you're free from sin. Romans chapter 14, it says, whatever is not of faith is sin. Let me just hang on to me now, all right? Hang on to this road I'm going to take you on. Whatever is not of faith is sin. There it is, because he does not eat from faith. For whatever is not from faith is sin, Romans 14, 23. Whatever is not of faith is sin. All right? So if you're going to go by Romans 11 as far as examining yourself to make sure that you took care of all of your sin, how is that one going to line up in your examination? And then you look at James chapter 4, and it said, if you know to do good and you don't do it, to him it is sin. I could be wrong, but I think the majority of us probably fell into that category this morning. Are you getting this? So we got sin on the left, sin on the right, sin behind, sin so far around. I mean, if we're really going to examine ourselves to see if we didn't do something in faith or if we should have did something and we didn't do it, honey, communion should be a month long, maybe hours, forever. Let's just make sure we get all, let's just make sure we get all, I should have, I didn't do that in faith and I, I should have did something good. I, I felt like I should have took coffee to my wife in bed, you know, but I didn't do it. You sinner. You see where I'm going with this? No, everybody's, and because this is why it's important, because if you miss one of those sins, now you're going to have the door open to you to get sickness, disease, even die prematurely. Wow. Wow. No wonder, you know, when I was growing up, there's all kinds of people. When the communion came, and they pass it. Why? Because I'm sure there's something in there I'm not going to remember. Well, to be honest with you, everybody should have passed it. Everybody. I mean, because somebody's going to forget something. But that's not what it means. He said, many are sick and weak among you because you're not examining right what the body was broken for you, what Jesus has done for you. That is where the examination is wrong. You can get more of that. I'm not going to get too much into it, but I'm telling you, because Jesus was deity, he could destroy what was destroying you and me. And he was humanity He was humanity because he knew it took a human to set us free. And so we can benefit from that. He was 100% deity. He was 100% humanity. But he was deity so he could destroy what was destroying you and me. Only God can do that. But because he was a man, you and I get the benefit from it. Isn't that good news? So communion is basically a covenant meal. If you knew Jewish culture, if you was raised in Jewish culture, communion is a covenant meal. And uh, there are usually promises and commitments when there was a covenant meal. And the good news is in the old covenant, it was between God and whoever he was making use the, the tribe of Israel. Uh, they had a fulfillment to make and God would have his part to play. They failed miserably. 
you and I would fail miserably as well. We all would. And so God says, you know what? I'm going to take a human, but it's going to be my son, and he will not fail. So I'm going to make a covenant between myself and Jesus, and I know he will fulfill that covenant. And the great news is, now we become one with Jesus, and we get all the benefits of that covenant. I know that's a lot to wrap your mind around. But let's look at Romans eleven 26. I'm going to go into this real quick. Whenever you eat this bread, I said Romans, didn't I? 1 Corinthians eleven 26. I'm sorry. PowerPoint people are going to go getting twitches in their finger. Whenever you eat this bread... 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six, 26, and you drink this cup, you are retelling the story, proclaiming our Lord's death until he comes. Until a couple of weeks ago, I, I just read that and read that, and I go, proclaiming the Lord's death till he comes. Every time we partake of communion, we are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. Why? Why are we doing it? I thought, Lord, you know, why, why are we proclaiming your death until he comes? And the Lord brought back my study a couple of years ago that I did on Romans. On Wednesday nights, I think it was Wednesday night. I didn't even do it on Sunday, but when we had Wednesday night church, I did a verse-by-verse study on Romans. And the Lord just reminded me about Romans chapter 7, verse 1 through 4. I write to you, dear brothers and sisters, who are familiar with the law. Don't you know that when a person dies, it ends his obligation to the law? For example, a married couple is bound by the law to remain together until separated by death. But when one spouse dies, the other is released from the law of the marriage. So then, if a wife is joined to another man while still married, she commits adultery. But if her husband dies, she is obviously free from the marriage contract and may marry another man without being charged with adultery. So, my dear brothers and sisters, the same principle applies to your relationship with God. For you died to your first husband, the law, by being co-crucified with the body of the Messiah. So you are now free to marry another, the one who was raised from the dead, so that you may now bear spiritual fruit from God. So... When I was taught this, it was all about marriage and divorce. That is not what Paul is teaching here. So the church, everybody feels super condemned now because you've been divorced and you're looked down upon because you're divorced because of Romans chapter 7. He's not talking about that. And yet the church has made that a, a major doctrine. Now, don't get me wrong. We're not, you know, abdicating. Hey, go out and get a divorce. It's okay. Your wife ticks you off. That's all right. Go ahead and just... Get that piece of paper. No, we're not advocating that. But neither was Paul. He was talking about a Jewish woman who was literally just property. She had no rights. She could not ever get a divorce because she was under the law. The only way she could be free from the law was that her husband died. Once her husband died, now she's free from the law. Paul is saying this is the principle of the church. If you're trying to live legalistically and trying to accomplish something by your actions and by your performance and try to become an under the law, then you're going to have to live by the law. But you'll never be in right relationship with God because you'll never be able to fulfill the law just like they couldn't in the Old Testament. 
So what is this I'm, I'm trying to say to, to link the death that Paul was talking about, 1 Corinthians. He said, the one who was raised from, well, let me get back a little bit. Uh, so you are now free to marry another. So when the woman, when her husband died, now she's free to marry another. All right? The law is no longer, she's no longer bound to the law. So here Jesus said, I want you to proclaim my death. This is proclaiming my death, the communion, until I come. All right? Why are we wanting to proclaim the death? Just like in Romans chapter 7, the law was her husband. And when it died, she was free from the law. When Jesus died, oh, hallelujah. When Jesus died, everything wrapped up around sin, around sickness, around poverty, around anything Deuteronomy chapter 28 Deuteronomy chapter 28 talks about the curse. Anything wrapped around that was wrapped around. We were married to that. We were married to that. But Jesus said, I'm going to become that. Galatians 3.13 says, he that is hanging on the tree is free from the curse of the law. He was cursed so we could be free from that. So when he was on the cross, all sickness, all disease, all of the curse, all of poverty, every defeat you and I could possibly have against us, it died and was buried, but the good news, and so we're not no longer under that anymore because we were married to that, but now it died. But the good news is we're free to marry another. And he says in verse four, so you are now free to marry another. And who does he say to marry? The one who was raised from the dead so that you may now bear spiritual fruit from God. So now we are married to the resurrected Jesus, not to the one who died, but to the one who was resurrected. And he is the one that is free from sin, free from sickness and disease, free from the poverty, free from every defeat and sits at the right hand of the Father God. That's who we're married to. You're proclaiming that, honey. You are proclaiming that because the old one died. Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, it wasn't me. It's, I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, it's not me. It's Christ that liveth in me. So when we were crucified, Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ. But he says, now I live. Yet it's not I that's doing the living. It's Christ that lives in me that's doing the living. And so it's like when you get married. When you get married, if your wife... Owe $6,000 and you say, I do, you now owe $6,000. The good news is, if she owns a house and you renting and you get married, you own a house. So, what am I saying? Every negative thing. Every sickness, every disease, every pot, everything that the world is trying to get their hands on, as far as having a good, the majority of the world, their number one thing is I want to live in health. I want to live in health. How many would probably agree to that? That's probably one of the number one things. The good news is the husband that we were married to, sickness and disease and lack and poverty, We were married to that. And to be freed from that is not what you and I can do to get free from that. We couldn't do anything to get free from that. We couldn't do anything to get freed from that. But now, the one that we were one with has died. 
So now we are free. Just like the law, Paul said, this is the way it's working. We're free because we didn't have the ability to get away from the law, to get underneath sickness and disease, to get away from poverty and lack, to get away from everything, depression and every mental illness. We couldn't have the ability to get away with that. So we had to break this divorce. But like the Jewish woman, we didn't have the authority and the power to do that. So when the man died, now we do have the authority to do that. And so we are married to another the resurrected Jesus. We're married to him and that we're free from sickness and disease. He's saying every time you partake of communion, you're proclaiming his death. Now it makes sense to me. I'm proclaiming I'm dead to that disease. I'm dead to that sickness. I'm dead to that pain in my back. I'm dead to bad knees. I, am not, I don't care if I'm 100 years old, I'm not going to have bad knees. Because I'm dead to those bad knees died in the grave with Jesus. He defeated that for me. Therefore, I'm proclaiming his death till he comes. What does it mean till he comes? That means he was resurrected. So you're proclaiming his death and you're proclaiming his resurrection every time you partake of communion. Does that make sense? It made sense at first service, so I don't know if it's making sense. Jesus was raised. So that we could have a new husband. Jesus was raised so we could be married to another. And the great thing about being married to this Jesus that was resurrected. 1 John four seventeen says, as he is, so are we in this world. In Pueblo, Colorado. Just like Jesus, we are the same. The same power that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you and me. The same power. So Jesus walked in total victory. It was the power. He says, I can only do because of what my God tells me to do. It's because of my father that I have what I have and do what I do. We are the same. We have what we have and we can have more victory according to the, how we are going to see Jesus in us. If you see Jesus in you as the person who makes you sick, if you see Jesus in you, the one who makes you poor, if you see Jesus in you, the one who keeps crippling you and causing you to have a bad time, then that's the life you're going to live. But if you see the Jesus in the Bible, the one who died and took all of the sickness and disease and all the poverty and lack, and he was resurrected to give you life, then you will have that opportunity. See, I believe, I know this is going to really push you. But you had extra sleep, so you can handle it. I think it's possible for you and I to never get sick again. And it's not when you get to heaven. Some people say, well, I just don't believe that. That's fine. You get what you believe. So if you believe you should get the flu every year, have at it. If you believe it's just part of life to catch colds. And don't get me wrong, man, I've, I've had colds. I've had the flu, but I do know this. I have left the port that says that's the way life should be. No, that's not the way that life should be. I've left the port, and I'm on the road that says you can walk in health. You can walk in strength. You can walk with a soundness of mind until the day you die. You can have strong knees, and you can have strong body until the day you die. Moses was under the old covenant, old covenant. He lived to be 120 years old. The dude did not even wear glasses. He says his eyesight did not even grow dim. You know, you're just supposed to lose your eyesight when you get old. 
And there's nothing wrong with wearing glasses. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying don't anybody get condemned. Everybody goes. <laughs> I'm just saying what my. <laughs> everybody say I love the pastor. I just felt love just go. <laughs> anyway, this is it. I believe you ought to at least shoot for the stars and make it to outer space is to shoot your foot and hit it every time. I believe you're just supposed to wear glasses. I believe you're just supposed to be old. I believe you're supposed to lose your mind. I believe all of this. That's what the world teaches. That's what even the church teaches. But how about the gospel, the good news? I don't think we need more power in the church. I believe we just need the good news preached. Because the good news has set the captives free. It'll cause people who think, you mean I don't have to grow old as far as losing my eyesight? You mean I don't have to, you know, all be hooked up to a dialysis machine? I don't have to do chemo? I don't have to do... Man, if you get a hold of the love of God, you find out he has made a way where it seems like it's just too good to be true. It's called the gospel. Okay. Back to the message. Exodus 24. Exodus 24, verse 8 and 11. Moses took the blood, a covenant meal. Let me just mention that they had covenant meals. That's what I was getting on to. You know, like most, a lot of times when people are married, they have a meal afterwards. In the Jewish realm, that would be a covenant meal. The Jewish culture is that when any covenant took place, you had a meal afterwards. Does everybody understand that? All right. Verse 8, and Moses took the blood, he sprinkled it on the people, and he said, this is the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you according to all these words. I'm so thankful, first of all, that we don't do that today. Could you imagine, everybody here, and I say, next week, make sure you wear your old clothes. And so next week comes and you're wearing your old clothes and I got a bucket of blood and I dip this broom type thing in here and I just start sprinkling everybody with blood. First of all, God thankfully put me in 2018 because I would probably not be a pastor if I had to do that. First of all, I would look at the blood and go, mm, Jesus, help me. Anyway, but can you imagine just sprinkling blood, I mean, just on people? And, and they just thought, yeah, this, this is a great service. Church attendance would go extremely down, including me. But... Um, he says he sprinkled his blood upon them. I just think this is funny. I'm sorry. I've got a picture in my mind. I'm having a hard time getting it out. This is the blood of the covenant. What is it? The blood of the covenant. Jesus, when he lifted up the cup, he said, this is the blood of the covenant. He said, this is the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made for you according to all these words. Then Moses went up, also Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, and they saw the God of Israel. Can you imagine? All of these guys with their own eyeballs saw God. And there was under his feet as it were paved work of sapphire stone, this blue aurora stone, just total blue. And it was like the very heavens in its clarity. But so the nobles of the children of Israel did, he did not lay his hand. So they saw God and they ate and drank. Now, isn't that funny? To me, I just, you read that if you don't know what the Jewish culture is, you just think, oh, they saw God, and they ate and drank. Why, why, why did you add, the, add that? They ate and drank. Oh, and they saw God, and they ate and drank. You know why that's important? It was a covenant meal. 
It was a covenant meal to establish what the covenant was just made for. This is our covenant meal. He said, this bread represents my body, which is broken for you. It was broken so that your body could be made whole. This cup is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. This is representing his blood. But it's not just representing his blood. It's the blood in the new covenant. What establishes the covenant? His blood. Listen to me now. I've said it every which way, but I want to say it again. His blood has made you acceptable and able to receive all of his covenant. It's not about you. It is about his blood that's made you acceptable. It's made you righteous. It's made you available to receive all that he has done in the covenant for you and me. You got to wrap your head around that. Are you hearing me? Why is that important? Leviticus. Well, let me just revert. 1 Corinthians 11.25 says this. He did the same with the cup of wine after supper, and he said, this cup seals the new covenant with my blood. Drink it. Whenever you drink this, do this in remembrance of me. Leviticus 17.11 really puts some light on this. Leviticus 17.11, it talks about the blood. It says, for the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it upon you the altar to make a point atonement for your souls for it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul but the very first part says the life of the flesh is in the the life of the flesh is in the blood jesus says take this cup it represents my blood the life of jesus is in this cup I'm going to say it again. The life of Jesus is in this cup. The life of the flesh is in the blood. So when you partake of the cup, you're not just saying, oh, it's the forgiveness of sins. Is it? Yes. All of your sins are forgiven. But it is also saying the very life of Almighty God now, because I'm remembering what he did, the very life of God, his power, his strength, the same power that raised Christ from the dead, the Bible says, dwells in you. His power is in you. The power that raised Christ from the dead is in you. When you partake of the cup, you need to remember that I have, you don't need more power, honey. You can't get any more power than Jesus. Oh, I'm just praying and fasting. I'll get a hold of more power. You need more power than Jesus. You, is that what you're saying? You, you need more power than Jesus? No, you just need to understand the power that is in you. The life of the flesh is in the blood. When you partake of the cup, you are partaking, and you're remembering. I'm remembering that the very life of Almighty God is now inside of me. It's not up in heaven. It's not in, just in my pastor. It's in me. So when you partake of communion, know that the bread is for you, what it's done for you. That's taking it in a worthy manner. To take communion in a worthy manner, you have to know what these represent and what was done for you. And when you do that, if you don't do that, many are weak and sick among you and die prematurely. So the flip side of that is, if you do understand this, many are strong and healthy 
and live a long life among you. That's why I think this is important to understand. Real quick, Romans 5, 9 says, talking about the cup. This is all about the cup, the blood. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. So what is the cup saying? I'm justified. I know we were taught in church, you're just righteousness as filthy as rags. Our righteousness was as filthy as rag. But when I got born again, I got a new righteousness. Romans 5.19 says the righteousness that I received, that you received. Are you ready for this? This is what I call slap you upside the head scripture. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. Who was the one man? Adam. By Adam, many were made sinners. Your sin didn't make you a sinner. Your birth made you a sinner. Just being born on this planet. Why? Because of Adam. So also by one man's obedience. Who's that? Jesus. So by Jesus, many will be made. Now look at that word. Made righteous. Not become righteous. You're made righteous. Not because of what you do. Not because of your righteous living. Not because of your holy living. You're made righteous because of Jesus' obedience. Come on now. Man, you should shout amen to that. I don't have to depend upon Mike's actions or performance to become righteous. I was made righteous just like I was a made sinner because I was born into it. Now that I'm born again, I'm born in to be made righteous. Just like my father, just like my brother Jesus. I'm made righteous. Woo! Then Romans 4, 8. What happy progress comes to them when they hear the Lord speak over them. What does he speak over them? This is what Jesus speaks over you. I will never hold your sins against you. Most people don't even know that. Most churches, most Christians think that God's holding their sins against them. But that's not what the Bible teaches. He says, I'm not holding your sins against you. But I'm going to tell you something. Are you ready for this? If you are holding your sins against yourself... You will never progress. See, that's the problem we have. Because the devil, he's the accuser of the brethren. Well, when you were younger, you slept with everybody. You just were just one of them people. Yeah, mm hmm And so he'll play that videotape for you. Click. In HD. In your mind. And you say, man, I, I don't deserve this. God, forgive me. And if, you, if you're born again, the Bible says God is no longer counting your sins against you. I'm going to say it again. The Bible says, not me, Jesus himself says, I am no longer counting your sins against you. The problem is if you are counting your sins against you, then you're not going to get the benefit. I'm telling you, In Psalms 105, it says when we were talking about the first Passover that came out of Egypt. The Bible says in Psalms 105, there was not one weak or feeble person among them. Most theologians say there's between two to four million people. You can't hardly get two to four people together that doesn't have some kind of ailment. Two to four million people. There was not one. There you go, verse 37. He also brought them out with silver and gold and there was not... None. There was none. Everybody say none. 
You know what that means in Greek and Hebrew and Swahili and Spanish and any other? That means zero, none. It's what it means. There was none among them that were feeble. They didn't even have an ailment, not even a headache or toe ache. Two to four million people, not one. Hey, how you doing? I feel so good. I mean, I feel great. Well, man, you're 95 years old. I feel so good. I'm gonna, let's run to the promised land. Let's run. <laughs> None of them were weak. And guess what? They were all rich. <clears throat> they were all rich. They walked, they took the wealth of Egypt. They had all of the health and all the wealth and they left. And then once they got to the Red Sea, the Egyptians thought, this is the devil now. This is the way he does today. We shouldn't have let them go. They're healthy and they're wealthy and they have victory every which way. We, should, we need to go after them. So the devil does that to you and me today. The health has been paid for. The wealth has been paid for. Your victory has been sealed in the new covenant. My blood sealed the covenant Jesus said. The devil knows that. So he chases people down to try to convince them in their mind that this is not true. It's just one of those it's too good to be true. Most things in life are like that. But when it comes to the gospel, that's what it is. It's the good news. And it's been sealed with the blood of Jesus. And the great thing is this, ladies and gentlemen, the people who are watching, it's not based upon if I can attain it, if I can be good enough for it. You can't and I can't. Nobody can. That's why it took the blood of Almighty God to get this for you and me. Did you hear me? It took the blood of God to get this for you and me. I couldn't get it by my actions. I couldn't get it by, by going to the nursing home enough to, to wash toilets enough to do anything good enough. I couldn't get it. I couldn't. I couldn't. I can try. And people are trying all over the church world trying to get good enough. And God said, you'll never get good enough. And the devil will make sure that you, all of your past will be brought to you and all of your sins and, and you'll be accuser. But God says, I will not remember your sins anymore. I'm not taking account of your sins anymore. But what I am counting, what I am looking is at the blood of Jesus. That's why the blood of Jesus is up in heaven and there's an altar. The Ark of the Covenant is up in heaven and the blood of Jesus is upon that. And it speaks louder than the blood of Abel, of you, of me, because our blood speaks of sin, of destruction and weakness. But the blood of Jesus speaks of righteousness and wholeness and strength and purity and that you are more than a conqueror. That's what's speaking for you today. But if you don't speak that, if you don't believe that, if you're still holding on to your sins, then you won't progress to what God has made a covenant for you. Let's stand. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. This is such great news. I pray that all of us look at communion in a different light. Next week, we're going to partake of communion. And when we partake, you can partake of it. I, I take it at home as well. Smith Wilgersworth, they said that before he, at night, he would put a communion at his bed table. And before he got out of bed, he would partake of communion before he got out of bed. Every day of his life. It's nothing magical in the elements. It can be water and a cracker. It can be, I mean, it doesn't have to be, you know, oh, it's got to be red wine and it's got to be, you know, bread made uh, 
unleavened bread made in Jerusalem. No. It's what you believe. He said, do this in remembrance of me. It's not so much the elements. It's what you're remembering, what Jesus did for you and me.